When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the worst idea of all time, Thanksgiving Miracle. My name is Tim Batt. And mine is Guy Montgomery. And I'm Justin McElroy. Whoa, whoa, whoa now. Hey Justin, how are you? You weren't kidding about the volume. He's just all over the place. I'm going to be riding this like, yeah, a, absolutely. like a, a Bronco. Here's what I find with Guy Montgomery, recording Guy Montgomery. It's a wonderful experience we can all enjoy. You want to turn that thing down. <laughs> and then just let him go hell for leather, and then we sort it out later. In his defense, I was turning the wrong knob, well, so that will do it. We've all got something to play with here. Um, so, everyone, it's so great to be here in your ear holes with Justin McElroy of My Brother, My Brother and Me fame. We're at his goddamn house. Can you believe it? Yeah, we're, we're really elevating this friendship to the next level. Uh, Justin, first of all, thank you so much. Oh, it's a it's my great pleasure to be here on this show that I've enjoyed so much over the years, and to finally be a part of it is is so meaningful to me. Is that true? Which part? The whole sentence? Select words through there are true. I've enjoyed your show very much <laughs> over the years, and it is. It is. I'm, I'm just happy to get in at the end, right here at the under the wire. What? And I mean, because obviously, this is, this is a bonus episode, everyone, and we will reveal what we will be discussing momentarily. Uh, but to get to the point where we get to have a conversation about it is obviously it can be quite a, a tricky road to traverse. Um, and so it's a great pleasure to be here now. How did you find our screening experience last night? Uh, <laughs> it, it, it was surreal, honestly, to watch it with people who had seen it so very many times. Before, you, before, before we dive into the poll, I think because this is a confusing situation, just a small amount of context. So obviously Guy has now moved to New York City. Those who stay up to date with the friend zone will know that little bit of context. I have traveled stateside to join him so we can do some live shows here. And then um, Justin very kindly was like, you guys are in America, come and spend Thanksgiving with my family. And Guy and I were like, absolutely. Yeah, it was one of those beautiful sort of semi, or what, I, I actually can't speak for Justin, but I always fear that it's one of those semi-hollow offers where they go, oh yeah, anytime you want, come by. I was like, yeah, absolutely. And go, oh, it was, oh, shit. I was more just abiding a, a vague social nicety than actually extending an offer. You seem like the kind of cats that would actually do it though. So <laughs> I did. I was, I was fully prepared for you to take me up on it. And we did double check with you. And, and uh, we came in yesterday we've been uh 
having a great time here. Finally met your lovely wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, had, had a lovely walk with Charlie as well through the leaves. It was cool. Yeah. And then we topped off a wonderful day with a wonderful screening of Sex in the City 2. <laughs> um, what a bad movie. I mean, like... It's a what very insightful bad, comment. Yeah, right. I know. I'm really... I mean, it was my first screening, but it was... I, I was trying to put... I had a thought exercise where I was trying to put myself in the headspace of you all watching it for the first time. Like, knowing that you were definitely going to watch it 52 <laughs> times after that. Because it, it is long in a way that it is unfathomable to me. Like, so much nothing... And I apologize in advance. I'm probably going to be echoing things that you all have said previously, both because of we would have the same reaction and because I've listened to you, but like, God, it doesn't, I was, I was talking with them, the, the, there, there, there's like a, a, a device that they use in Sex and the City, the series, which I've watched, I watched sporadically when it was on, of like a question of Carrie's typed in to her, you know, her, one of her articles or whatever that sort of frames the thing that happens in hour into the movie and i don't and but the wild thing about it is it couldn't have happened earlier because literally nothing had happened up until that point like there was no and it's not like anything happened after it it's just like the earliest possible conceivable moment that that could have occurred there's often a uh, yeah voiced rhetorical question which is something that carries banging into her macbook in the series as you say that kind of just is like cool this is the thing we're dealing with this episode and you're right, we have to spend over we have to spend sixty four minutes, I think, to be precise, to get to the point where we know what the rest of the movie's gonna be. What? It's worse still because the movie, you know, as as is well known, is set in the in Abu Dhabi. And this question occurs, as you say, an hour over an hour into the movie when she is on a plane promoting Pringles flying over Africa en route to where the actual movie is set. Which, and I, I really wish I remember which guests of ours pointed this out, but there is no flight path that would take you over Africa to do the trip that she yeah. does. There's so many mistakes in this movie. It's like, it's, can you imagine picking up a book and you wade through what you think is half the book and then you finish it and you realize that was just the prologue? And you're like, <laughs> no, no, what? It's crazy. Also, the way that we watched it, we were sort of having a good time. It was... Uh, you know, the three of us in Sydney were just goofing around, uh, watching some fun stuff online on your TV, and then you just sort of started <laughs> navigating the iTunes store, <laughs> and you went to Sex and the City 2, and you're like, I'm going to rent this, and I was saying, no, you don't want to do that. And I was not, okay, that makes it sound like psychological torture. No, like no, I no. Had, like, we had discussed We, we had it. discussed it. it on you. And I think we had sort of loosely vetoed it. And well, then Justin's had, remote hand of. just kind of hovered around and there we were. It was so scary. <laughs> it's weird how there's a part of, if you listen to the show, I was telling Tim this, I think. If you listen to the show, there's a, it's a strange, strange compulsion. I watched Grown Ups too, as well, because you listen to it so many times that I became like theoretically obsessed with it. Like it's like I told Tim, it's like getting a song stuck in your head that you've never heard, and that's the best. And say like I needed to like you have to scratch the itch. See it, yeah. I had to like just see it or excise the demon in this case. That is an accurate way of, it, of describing it. For, I I think I said this out loud actually, but um. I'm pretty sure it caused me heart palpitations when it kicked off. You're getting worked up as that title sequence kicked in. Big time. There was a a very uh, physical 
sort of manifestation of fear and a real um, Pavlovian response to getting that stimulus again. We were hearing the first few notes <laughs> kick up of the bespoke Sex in the City 2 score. It was, it was, it was just crazy. so casual as well. It's the way you just ambled along the Sex and the City 2 and we started watching and it was like, ah, oh, yeah, this is a funny goof. I thought maybe for 10 or 15 minutes and then we all just sort of sat in the room and just kept watching and watching. And I was convinced I'd fall asleep, but I didn't. I just, I got to a point where it was, I, I think, a microcosm version of what you all went through the first time when you did Gross 2. We're like, if I watched half of Sex in the City 2, that's nothing. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just hanging out there in the ether. Um, and I did want to, it is, it's a uh, consistently stimulating movie. It's yes. not dull. Yes. Because something is happening that, excites certain parts of your brain many in this section labeled like fury and, and disgust but it is like a stimulating film it's sort of similar to a really poorly done children's television show i think there's a lot of colors on screen and a lot of ideas being thrown around not all of them good not all of them sound uh, a lot of them offensive but yeah as you say you're not going to be you're not going to be bored on the first it is watch certainly of this. patronizing to what I'm imagining their key demographic of like mid thirties to forties women of a certain level of materialism, like it is patronizing to those people in the same way that bad children's selfish program is, is, is patronizing to children. Like, Oh, you like this here? Here's some of this. Like there's no story or anything. It's like, Here's a purse. You yeah. like purses? Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's eight purses. So you're still invested in this franchise? Well, fuck you for yeah. caring. This movie is kind of like Extreme Makeover Home Edition. You know how they do the kids' bedrooms? Where they're like, do you like Lego? And they're like, I guess I kind of like Lego. Cool. Fucking everything yeah. is Lego. It's like, oh, what's that? You're a 47-year-old woman who has decided to pursue fashion as a, a passion of yours? Cool. Here's a bunch of dumb shit, and now we're going to the Middle East because that's different, and they wear different things there, and they put sequins on their knee quabs. Check that shit out. And we know you were bored looking at women in burkas, so guess what? The whole time, underneath those, they were wearing really fashionable fun stuff, so secretly you loved it, and you didn't even know it. it yeah, was so... and, and secretly, everyone is like us, and we are the best. That, honestly, that moment, that reveal, I think, and this is a big statement if anyone's seen Sex in the City 2, is the most offensive part of the film, where the only way that you can kind of reconcile these uh, strange women that they meet in the Middle East who help them out during a um, classic caper that they're on, where they're being chased by religious men, because Samantha drops a bunch of Connies on the ground. They they have to reveal that under their burkas they are wearing fashionable American clothes. Thank God. It's even it's even double offensive because about an hour to four hours earlier in the film, <laughs> they show a woman who has basically like bedazzled her De- burka. Decaled her knee like, Yeah, like and and it is and and she's like decked it out and it's like i don't know women of today like women in modern they say it like fucking they say it out loud like, like out loud miranda's like, line i think is uh and i could it's been a little while um and we did watch it last night and this is the morning because we couldn't bring ourselves to yeah do any more this doesn't really work but you know we had to go and recover after the watch she says um um modern modern arab women are finding new and exciting ways to express themselves or something yeah. like that it's pretty close straight to it. out of the Miranda Encyclopedia. This is of. why we call her Professor Oak because well, she just has to serve as this weird 
narrative device in the film where anything that you need to know because you're a stupid American watching yeah. this film about the Middle East, kind of, we need to give you some tools. And, and they, Miranda but, will be the vehicle. they show a woman that had decorated her kneequab, because uh, you're right, it was a kneequab, not a burka, uh, decorated her kneequab, and then they like later say, like, psych, they actually are not doing that. It's They're secretly just wearing fashionable clothes underneath their kneequabs. Like, yeah. like you just get you just said that that's not what they're doing and that like they're merging culture and their culture's evolving and it's yeah. like no not really just kidding i would i would like to speak to what you said to him about us uh, resting on it um, obviously, the the screening finished post midnight, I believe. So everyone tucked themselves in for you good were nights. cooked, mate. Yeah, you yeah. were barely keeping your eyes open. My eyes were open. I, I lasted the whole thing. I didn't like it. But Justin, before we came down to record this morning, you said that you uh, you had on account of this existential nightmares. Existent. I have to assume the two were connected, but I just I had a series of nightmares about like not just. Not just dying, but like people like watching a large number of people die in an accelerated time frame. So like time was sped up and I was just watching people die and be buried and then their family members being next to them. I know. I know. I know. That was it's a fucking film, man. It filled me with like an existential panic. It's so despicable that like they got the money to make it and then they did make it and then people maybe saw it i assume not a lot because they didn't make a three so like not a ton of people but Man, like did they try though they only recently got put to bed that the third wasn't going to be made did this movie make money i've forgotten the stats almost definitely think about how big the franchise is yeah i feel like it, it uh it would have come out on top they at least would have um yeah they at yeah, least would have broken only broken very down. recently did everyone say do you know what that wasn't actually that good a time, and we're not doing it again. <laughs> 294.6 million dollars. Off a budget of like 140 100. or something? 100. 100. It did all right. It did all right. It doubled. That's pretty I'm good. I'm assuming not a big international take on that, hopefully. God, I hope not. Who's to say? I don't want a lot of other countries Look, seeing. I, f- I feel the three of us are getting bogged down in everything that is bad about this movie, which oh, is fine and yeah, fair yeah. and good. Yeah. But um, maybe this would be a nice time for us to inject some light into the conversation well, as we discuss yes. our respective shining lights. Well, before we do, though, I don't know why I'm putting this forward. I think it's just a fuck you up guy because we've been hanging out so much. I'm finding any moment to antagonize you. I apologize. I'm not doing it intentionally. You're smiling, It's just coming up. Yeah, I know. You- it's a, it's You're a, barreling me it's and a, smiling while you smile, say, I'm enjoying antagonizing you. A smile of self-awareness. I'm not enjoying antagonizing you. It just comes out. Um, but we saw Coffee Guy, and Justin, you were very excited to see him, and we did a countdown, and I feel like Sydney was excited to see Coffee Guy as well. It was, yeah. It was a cool moment. It is. What would you make of him? Seeing him, ac- seeing it actually happen, it is immediately apparent why you would notice him, because he looks like... He looks like if you Google image search like clip art for man drinking coffee too fast. Like it is this guy's fucking face and he knows he's on camera and he knows this is his fucking moment. He looks over his shoulder and he sees the girls and he knows like I have to land this and he fucking sells it, man. He like real and not in a good way because he's an extra and the fact that you're watching him is like very, very problematic. But like. The guy's a superstar. I, I don't know if you know this, Justin, but we messaged him to try and get him on our live show at the end of season two, and he was out of New York City at the time. 
Uh, but he, he wrote a message that we read out. How so the fuck just, did you identify him? Uh, I spent a bit of time on the IMDb page and found him. He was also an uncredited extra in Sex and the City 1, so obviously they recognised his work. <laughs> uh, but he wrote back, He wrote a message that we read out, and then about eight months later, he just shows back up in my Facebook inbox <laughs> being like, hey man, how's everything going? <laughs> You're back on the you're back on the bean juice, big guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> what a guy! Um, Can you imagine how much I that must have killed him to like finally have an opportunity to be recognized for his yeah, and his he would craft. have truly received a hero as well. Yeah, yeah. I when um in season one at the very <coughs> end when we did our live show we had Tanya on who was a, a woman who gets an ice cream scoop thrown at her and grown ups too. She's so on with screen. the most amazing sound effect. Yeah, humanly possible. You got it. Uh, uh, um, good. And good we take. we got in touch with Tanya, and she was like, "Yeah, absolutely, I'll come to that." And we were like, "Oh my god, <laughs> this is so, it's funny because of the nature of this podcast, which um is ending." I hasten to remind everyone: two episodes to go after this one. Um, you invent an edifice, you create something, and then you get surprised when the people you've created the thing around are real people. So like Tanya, we built into this demigod, and then we just dropped her a line. She was like, yeah, that's cool, that's fine. I was an extra in an Adam Sandler movie once. I'll come to the live show. And she had to leave because she had another engagement before, um, I think she was there for the screening, but she had to leave before we did the, the podcast. And the applause the st- wait how did that work actually she she no, wasn't she there for her it, moment she, somehow she uh she only showed up to say hello on stage right right and yeah she got a, a roaring welcome the like perfect a ego boost o. she brought the house down and extended applause for ages everyone in that packed out theater it was it was That's so amazing. good and all of that glory could have been coffee guys if he had it turned up you're doing a couple more shows don't you get get at him ah it's season three now, Justin. The, the time moves. The great we'll never have another sh- like this is his moment. The, you got to give it back to him. The great tragedy of season three is that there there has been no coffee guy. There has been no Tanya. There's no one. There's no single character. You know, extraneous character who we've been able to hitch our wagon to and champion. Yeah, all the way to the finish line because they all feel extraneous. Well, because the whole film's shot in soft focus. It's hard to zero in on anyone. That's <laughs> true. Uh, but look, before we go down the, the, the coffee hole too deeply, I would like to do the Shining Lights, if I may. I mean, amongst all of the dross that we, we suffered through for what did feel like over five hours, it is only isn't the right word, but two, and a, two hours and 24 minutes. I mean, it, it does play with your concept of time when you're watching the film. I think it would be fair is to say. Is 2 hours 24 accurate? Because it said 2 hours 40 on the, on the ticket at the bottom of the screen. I can't imagine it's 14, 16 minutes of credits. No, I think it's 2.24. I think it said 2.24. We I know. think you're a goddamn liar, Guy Montgomery. Nah. Justin, you want to weigh in on this and break up a friendship? Uh, I, think, I think it was 2.24. Sounds oh, right. Okay. Every time... I've been wrong about four times in a row when I've gone into battle with Guy recently and it's uh, destroying my ego. <laughs> but that's okay. I deserve it. 146 minutes. 224. Mm. 226, actually, isn't it? I mean, oh, I sorry. Two, you're saying 200, not like two hours, 24 minutes. That's what I'm saying. Two hours and 24 minutes. 146 minutes. <laughs> it scrambled yeah. your brains. This is what my. Wait a minute. So, what did we land on? What is it actually? You just looked it up. It's two hours and 26 minutes. Oh, okay. All right. So nobody so, was right. Perfect. So I was two minutes. Well, I mean, but for the record, I was two minutes off and you were more. Yes. <laughs> like 14. That's all by the by. Uh, 
Would anyone like to volunteer to share their favourite moment from the film last night? Um, they get butlers. They each get their own butler in their room. And Justin McElroy. What? Come on, man. What? Be more excited. This is the one. I'm bit trying of the to remember. I'm trying. I don't want to mess it up because they. I only seen it the one time. Uh, they each get their own butlers, and one of the butlers mispronounces Hob. Hobbes. Ho- Hobbes. Yeah, he says Hobbes instead of Charlotte Hobbes. He says Hobbes. And she said, oh, actually, it's Hobbes. And he is deeply mortified. I, what is it? I'm, I am so very sorry. I'm so very sorry. And got credit to that. Like, it is, I think, I don't think I'm wrong about this. The only competent, comedic, actual beat that actually, like, lands in the film and it's credit to due to him because that's not written funny. Yes. Like it's that guy's like, okay, I can find some yes. fucking uh a sl- sliver of light here that I can absolutely some wriggle room. Yeah. And he did it. He did it. He nailed it. He did it. Um God damn that's so bad. I've forgotten his name. Garon. Steve. Garon. Garon. No, Steve Steve is the people's champion and he was actually as a great segue because he was my shining light. It was oh, early wow. on at the at the big gay wedding, um, when uh, he gets his first line, and you can just see him on the sideline doing his stretches, you know, making sure he's <laughs> ready to go. And they're talking about uh, Stanford and Anthony's, their relationship after the wedding, how Anthony's allowed to cheat in the states where same-sex marriage isn't legal. And uh, they're like, well, it's not really any of our business. And Steve pipes in with a perfectly paced and vocalized, except... He told us. And then you observe this, Justin. He sort of looks off camera as though to Mattress Pikelet King, the director himself, to say, didn't I fucking smash that out of the park, my dude? (laughs) And even for the toxicity of the relationship that we've had with the movie over the years, to see Steve again shining so bright, I was was enamored. I was very happy. Can you imagine being that cat and like... I'm sure he does other things, but like, there's this gig, and they're like, he gets the conversations like, saddle up, Steve, polish up the glasses. It's time. Sex, sex in the City, too, baby. It's happening. <laughs> Great. Can you send over a script so I can just kind of look through? <laughs> yeah, baby. It's going to be a quick fax. Hold on. <laughs> just just going to get that one page out to you real quick. Yeah, quick fax. You're still on fax, right, Steve? <laughs> That's not my name. <laughs> 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 that guy will be whoever he needs to be to get that gig. <laughs> Steve would have earned a lot of money from this movie as well, I think. Um, my Shining Light, so glad you asked. Miranda, and I don't know why this line continues to get me, but when they're in um, one of the desert scenes and she's going through stuff they're going to do that day, and uh, I think she's trying to sell a camel trip as being a really fun activity to the rest of them, and she says, It'll be fun. There's something about a delivery. Yeah, that I, I, love, I know exactly the moment you're you're speaking to. It'll be fun. It'll she be sort of fun. moves her head, like she she scrambles the word "fun," the actual phonics of it around the group by moving her head. Speaking of Miranda, this was not a shining light. Just because like I wanted to try to be sincere with my shining light, but uh, there's a wild moment when they're headed to that scene. Speaking of that scene, there's a wild moment where like what I'm assuming is like a goat herder is like herding some goats. And Miranda, like, reaches out the car window. Miranda, who's been, like, so on point about, like, let's respect the values. Let's, like, keep it locked down. 
be a good, uh, you know, be a good visitor here. Fucking leans out of her window and just like whips it like she's a, a flag at a NASCAR rally, just like whipping <laughs> this multicolored flag at this woman who's like and screaming, screaming, and like her. And the woman has to like get her goats out of the road before this car like mows her down. It's like, what are you? Who are you? Woo! Yeah. yeah, I'm an American. Everyone, out of my way, please. Which. For the other characters in the film would have been 100%, like, at yeah. least it would have been bad and boring and stupid, but at least it would have been contextually made sense. Yes. For Miranda, it's like she has a, a, a an episode or something, just like... But Justin, can't you see? That's why it's so powerful. Finally, out of the restrictive, oppressive environment of the United States, her native New York City, she has managed to find a moment of freedom where she can let loose and uh, scream her femininity out a window in the style of a nascar racer tim has engaged in the same sort of um alternate history fan canon slash uh, well not slash but uh the alternate history fan canon fiction that the writers of the film attempt to do at the end where they conceptualize some sort of overarching narrative for miranda <laughs> who has none like we can all we can all have a lot of fun trying to come up with whatever miranda's story was but it, it, yeah. it is not present she gets film. a shout out in the final voiceover because she w- goes back to work with i remember uh, from previous seasons a, a, a group of colleagues downloaded from a clip art about diversity in the workplace that's right after it says, bad experience and miranda learned you can be a woman and have a job and we closed the chapter on the book of Miranda within Sex in the City 2. It wasn't about that, though. To be, to be fair to the film, her struggle was against a douchebag boss named Tom, and she didn't want to quit because she had made it so high up in the ranks in the firm. And she did, and then she went to work for like a... Um, I think they try and sell it in the movie as like a uh, community-organised law firm. Is this a scene t- in the movie we watched? No, it's like one line of dialogue right at the end. Okay. They kind of retcon her character in the film in the ending, which is um, an interesting narrative device. It's, yeah, I, as that actress, that must be extremely frustrating to like. I don't think anyone gave two shits. screen a lot. They got so much money. But she doesn't do anything. I mean, she doesn't do anything. She is building the framework around which the other characters can be terrible people. I guess, yeah. She's in charge of the scaffolding. They need somebody to thwart. Yeah, <laughs> she's there to be thwarted. Exactly. It's uh, yeah. It's uh, there were other other moments that jumped out. Like um, I can't remember. There was one near the end, but you were particularly tickled once more by Aiden's delivery of the one that got away. Which oh, is re- it's really God. fun to do. like. I mean, you have he, to mine through so much garbage, but there are little beats which are really enjoyable. Uh, because you and I have watched this fifty-two times previously. When you get a, a toehold in early, or like one of the tens of watches, and it just sticks with you through the whole experience, it gets really drilled into your brain. And one that I noticed on one of the first watches was. Um, when Aiden's having dinner with Carrie in Abu Dhabi at his uh, well-selected Middle Eastern restaurant, which is his hotel oh, that, bar. Yeah. And he's so proud of the fact that they serve Middle Eastern food. <laughs> he's like, ha- like lampshades in the biggest way. Like, they have great Middle Eastern food. No, real- oh, in Abu Dhabi, they have great. Okay. All right. I'm devastated they cut the scene of Aiden explaining to the head waiter that they should sort of look at bringing that kind of food to America. It would do really well here. <laughs> So he says, um, he's talking about his wife and his family, 
and he mentions that his wife had Googled Carrie recently and he says, she always kept one eye on you, the one that got away. And it's like, no, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, at least a comma somewhere there, dude. That's not one line. That is, uh, that's a really strong sort of four to five minute period of the movie for Aiden because that is just before he they walk through the alley, the cloisters of his hotel and he says, each of these arches represents one of the United Arab Emirates. I remember one with every trip. Like, he's, I'm up to four. I'm up to four. He's made four trips to the UAE, and he knows four states' names there. And it, it's so wild. The uh, This entire film is so wild. It's the I was thinking about it as I was trying to go to sleep, which this is, this is probably my problem. But the if you look at the broad arcs for each character, like what each character sort of goes through, if I and, t- and please correct me and, and help me to, to build on this, but if you look at the four main characters, Miranda, nothing happens to. We've already established this. Miranda decides she can also have a job and she goes back to work and because they get it in at the end. Charlotte uh, goes back to her house and doesn't immediately see her husband making love to a nanny who is apparently gay and that fixes her trust issues. It's a neat little button with her husband <laughs> because. This one specific person is gay. That fixes her trust issues forever. Now, uh, for oh, Samantha, I mean, her issue was, I guess, that she was taking a lot of hormones, but then was still able to get horny even yes. without them. And then she started taking them again, which, like, she's a woman in her early 50s. That's not actually a character arc that makes any sort of concrete sense. And then Carrie's is perhaps the wildest because. Carrie's is Carrie cheats on her husband and in compensation for that she has to give up everything that she actually cares about and is purchased and this 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 uh uh servitude is purchased by a a large ring and because of that she has to just is it is literally like here's a ring you you no longer care about the things that you cared about at the beginning of the film it, because you kissed Aiden also. Which is actually a phenomenal sort of summary of the direction that they took this whole franchise. Is here's an expensive shiny object. Forget who you are. Right. This is exactly. yours now. Exactly. This diamond is yours. It's it, yeah. The, it, the Aiden carry because that is the that is in the prologue, right? That is the hour we are treading water before we get to Abu Dhabi. That is the main sort of body of what we're dealing with. Is yeah. That they have everything. Big and carry. Yeah, they have everything but satisfaction in their relationship, which says to me, I don't know that you guys should be together. I haven't seen the first movie, I don't think, but as I recall, uh, she gets jilted in the first movie. And then between that and the second movie, it's assumed that they reunite and get married. These guys are not a good fit for each I other. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I didn't see the other film, but I do know that he makes her he said like the line he has is I think like they were doing vows for each other and her vows are basically just like pledges of ever thine, ever mine, ever ours. And the one he makes her say That's one, a good tattoo. One of the ones he makes her say is uh we will I, I vow to realize we will never be just another old boring couple because we won't. We'll never be that. And it's like I saw the first hour of the movie. I was here where Big was bought her a TV for their anniversary and was bringing home 
fucking takeout every single night and kicking it on the couch and watching uh, Deadliest Catch. Like, you know I saw that, right? Because <laughs> it's not a futuristic, like, uh, she's not imagining like an Elseworlds version of their reality. Like it is that is definitely what has happened. Like, it's already happened, it's and it's also fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's great. That's surely that's the dream. That's why you get married, so you don't have to do those things anymore. Right? Those terrible, terrible things. Exactly. That's, that is. I don't know. I think that's the movie trying to reconcile itself against the franchise because the franchise was all about bucking against those things. Of and course, it's like right. you, you can have both. But not, not as told by this movie. But that's the problem is when you have characters that are unwilling to evolve, which they probably did during the series, I'm sure, but certainly not in this film. Like when you have characters that are unwilling to evolve and you watch them over 10 years of their lives, it does start to feel ghoulish. It's like it's like an uncanny valley of humanity. Like, well, that's almost like what people do, but I guess not really, huh? Like not exactly like people do. <laughs> they just should have tapped the thing on the head um certainly at the end of the tv series and certainly certainly at the end of the first movie and this is a um frankenstein reanimation of assembled characters and human traits electrified yes, to right. life and put in an exotic environment to try and make you part with 16 dollars to go to the cinema that's what this is so long as we're talking about enterprise this seemed as good a time as any to wait into mr big's beautiful uh high-rise office withdraw a dusty leather-bound book from the highest shelf and uh, scroll through the pages as we try to discover what exactly this young entrepreneur is onto next. It's time for Mr. Big's Big Book of Ideas. And Justin, if you would do the honours, this is, um, to catch everyone up, because I know it's been a while since we've uh, blown the dust off the covers on this one, what do we know about Mr. Big? We know he's colorblind, and we know he's struggling to make sense of the market environment in which he tries to make a living. Uh, we know that the um, Federal uh, Exchange Commission has sequestered his computer as part of a large investigation, but he has to keep going to work. <laughs> it doesn't stop him from brainstorming, which I love. Yeah, hasn't slowed him down at all. So <laughs> he's coming up with schemes every day, Justin, and um, I, I don't know if you want to take the book from us and just have a little thumb through the pages there and um you know it's not exactly uh a, a character that i'm so well versed in where i'm able to just sort of generate i mean because like if i had the ideas i'd be mr big right <laughs> well, so yeah. i don't i don't know that i could just sort of pluck one from the air maybe you guys tell me some of your great ideas <laughs> you're first. having trouble reading the book that's yeah. fine let me, let me the this text is pretty it, small yeah, and here. also it's covered in dust so the yeah. Oh, that's better. Thank you. Yeah, get so, my, I'll get my spectacles out, yeah, actually. And okay. we'll, we'll pass, pass it back to you, Justin. <laughs> Great. Perfect. That way I'll be able to read it better. Undoubtedly. I can't even remember some of the shit that guy was coming up with, but it was let me wild. Have a th- let, me, let, me, let me have a thumb through here. Okay, this page is... Uh, he's drawn a diagram of the Death Star, but he's saying one-to-one scale, so it looks like he's he's building a very tiny one that fits in an A4 page that should be earthbound, and it's something to do with feeding babies. It's a... Oh, okay. No, he's got instructions down here. It's a levitation device that uses magnets to suspend in the air, but it's got a bunch of dummies on it, so it gives milk to babies. That's... <laughs> I guess so, Star Wars presumably the dead. babies would all have to be lying down in a sort of quite condensed area, head to head. So yeah, that and a they would weird have sphere kind of an environment. So I don't know if that one's going to take... Let me just have a little look through this other... 
Okay, this one's a lollipop that's in the shape of a shark. I feel like that's probably been done. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to have a look in that book, please. Yeah, do you want to? Here we go. This one he's through. got earmarked, and it's it's a carton of milk. Uh-huh. But you'll see here, there's, he's sort of drawn a magnifying glass over the center of it, and in this pull-out picture, you can see that it's actually full of orange juice. That's is it like a idea. prank? No, no, no. He's going to release a line of orange juice that is branded as milk. Wow. wow. That's dynamic thinking. That's amazing. I mean, it's, it's certainly not the one we're delving into today, but it's a, it's a weird one. Why, why not this? <laughs> oh, we're thumbing through. I thought we were just sort of thumbing through here. Can you imagine you get a bowl of cereal ready for breakfast. You know, you pour yourself some lovely what you think is milk. You got OJ on your Wheaties. <laughs> Disaster zone. <laughs> I mean, it's a good prank, it feels like. I just don't know if it's going to take off a mass market appeal. But let's have a look at this a little further on in the book. This uh, this is in the, the last third here. Um, okay. He's written the word hieroglyphics are back. So, <laughs> He's written it as one word. Yeah. <laughs> hieroglyphics are back. That's interesting. Okay. All right. So what he seems to be getting at here Mr Big is conceiving of a world where ancient Egypt is back in vogue have you guys noticed that ancient Egypt used to be real hot property and it's kind of gone away recently yeah so it it seems like John is trying to bring it back in vogue so he's got a fashion line here oh he's working with carry on on this this is good and it's Egyptian hieroglyphs oh no on new season couture oh so it's very forward thinking. The eye of Osiris over your nipples, Parahemple, or uh, that crazy little bird thing over your blessing. Okay. What do you think, Justin? Oh boy, a lot of great ideas there, getting kicked are, around. Are there anything within these uh, these these garments yeah. that have been laid out so clearly by Mr. Big's hand that tickle your fancy? Could uh, you see yourself in any of these cloaks or t-shirts? Uh, I, I I think if he did a GoFundMe or something like a Kickstarter to try to get it going. I, th- I think that I would be definitely on board with that. He's going to need to get his keyboards and computers back for that sort of <laughs> thing to take place. Well, he could, you could do it somewhere on mobile, right? Yeah. I, could, there's, there's a landline at Carrie's apartment. <laughs> Carrie doesn't just maintain an apartment. She maintains a landline service <laughs> to that apartment. She talks to Big in 2011 on a fucking landline. It's wild. Yeah. It's wild. It's because their BlackBerry ran out of battery. Apparently. It is crazy, isn't it? Um, the... I, there you go. I just, while I remember this, because I'm, we're going to forget to do it later, we didn't actually drill into Coffee Guy. No, I know. Well, we didn't sing the song. Yeah, exactly. So you can't very well drill into Coffee Guy without singing the song. So the question that we ask every week, of course, is... Where's... Where's he going? Where are the hieroglyphs at? That is the question that we ask, well, we used to ask it every single week. Now we just leave him to his own devices and trust that everything's okay. But not today. Not like this. 
Of course, Coffee Guy, truly a hero of the film, a hero of ours. Uh, as has been discussed, necks a coffee within three gulps, piping hot, we see it get dropped off at his table, <laughs> and then hightails it out into the big bad world. Uh, I have no notion as to what would motivate a man to ingest this much Java yeah. uh, on this screening. Perhaps, yeah. Justin, you, with fresh eyes. Yeah. And, a, and a, a fresh mind could could help us. It seemed pretty obvious to me, and I was surprised that you guys didn't notice this, but when he leaves, when he stands up to to rush across, um, I, I, there was another larger cup of coffee just out of frame <laughs> that he saw. And he, he, had, uh, he was just about to finish his, but then he saw another larger bit of real estate that he was like, he could occupy. So he sort of ran at, saw that and was like, whoa, I got to finish this one because he didn't want to be wasteful. So he jammed his coffee because he saw another larger coffee over there. And I know what you're saying. Why? Well, he was also participating in sort of a double dare style challenge where he was trying to find a flag to win like $100 in a trip to Disney World or Space Camp, uh, which is probably referenced at Lance better if you grew up in America. Um, so uh, so he was pr- competing in a kind of coffee competition and he had to drink all the coffee in the area. So he saw a larger coffee and he's like, well... I'm going to polish that bad boy off. Are the other patrons within the cafe aware of this contest or I mean, no, it's kind of like a scavenger hunt, which is just built to annoy people that aren't participating in it. So So he's not in training. This is happening. This is 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 live and it's sort of going on. It's one of those, like, you know, those, um, the, I think they call them competition verite where it's like the competition's happening in the real world around us. Like the other opposition are people that don't even know they're participating in it. Um, and and, I, and that is the situation that he finds himself in. Uh, it's sort of like the game with Michael Douglas, right? Your step flick where it's like an alternate reality game that when you get super rich and bored, you get to play. And it's sort of like an escape room, but the real world is your It's a real world is the escape. I haven't seen the game with Michael Neither Douglas. Have I. But I was <laughs> I hoping someone would pick up the slack there because no. it seemed like fertile ground. But yeah, that's basically, basically that, what doing. To me, I mean... <sighs> You know, outside of the contest, that is Occam's razor, is it not? What else would co- what else would warrant Coffee Guy getting up and leaving at such pace, other than a larger cup of coffee being available for consumption? So you guys never watched Double Dare? Kids would have to at the end. Double Dare was a Nickelodeon game show. Yeah, was it hosted by a guy called Mike Mark Summers. Pretty Did, close. Was it um who yeah. would run over like obstacle courses and it had almost a ticky theme to it? No, a lot like, of you're times conflating it with Legends of the Hidden, Hidden Temple. Temple. This is like a gr- it was like a gross out thing. So you would like have to reach into a giant nose that was full of green slime to find a flag or jump in between two yeah. giant foam waffles to find a flag. The show was actually hosted by a guy named Mark Summers who it was later he later revealed uh, uh, lived with obsessive compulsive disorder. Oh, okay. Which is when you realize that he was the host of Double Dare is just unfathomable. Like really stressful. I mean, this is a man who would like leap into big piles of boogers to dig out flags to demonstrate to kids how to do it. Has he ever discussed his, you know, experience being on the show hosting it? Uh, with such I'm, a condition, I'm I'm assuming I'm assuming he has. I mean, the guy's a legend. I don't know how I he looked it up. It's amazing. Yeah, he made it for what so a long. Brave decision. Yeah, that was truly a golden age for Nickelodeon game shows. Just sure. figure it out with Summer Sanders and uh, the uh, Legends of the Hidden Temple. I still get I still get scared at the idea of the temple guards jumping out. That was always so mortifying to me. 
if if somebody wanted to make a mint, they should do they should bring those back with like adult celebrities as the contestants. Can you imagine like that, Kevin Hart running that. through the Hidden Temple? Like and he'd do it too. How fun would that be? Watch yeah, Chrissy Teigen like dig through waffles to find a flag. Like <laughs> don't mind if I do. What is this situ? If I can turn the tables on you guys and ask you a question, what was this experience like for you? Because there's literally no people on Earth, I think that watched Sex and the City 2 or basically any movie 52 times and then returned to it a year later. What was the emotional blend for you like? I remember we uh, we did a an episode of a podcast when we were in Portland, Oregon a while ago called Crate Diggers, hosted by a guy called Verbs the Selector. And he played, we, we, it's essentially you choose songs and discuss your relationship to the songs. And throughout it, he sort of fed in songs that had colored uh, movie watching experience through Grown Ups 2 and Sex and the City 2. And I remember he played Sidney Lauper's True Colors. And the reaction I had at that point was like, I re- sort of, I felt quite physically ill, uh, you know, and that I remembered last night when watching it, I was unhappy and sort of upset, but <laughs> not, not in a way where my body recoiled and panicked like it did when I heard it out of context. Cause that was more recent. I think like last night for me, it was hard work uh, <laughs> to paint a picture for you, guy was basically like lying with his back to the television, <laughs> and a uh, I think a did you have a a hood pulled up over your yeah. like a, yeah and like and on defense. his and on his phone like yeah if he could have like uh, made a chitin solidify around him I think he would have done so to my credit I mouthed along with several words and got some really good jabs in against the <laughs> characters and decisions they were making yes, did. I. It was interesting. I, I'm pretty confident I would have sworn to myself never again at the tail end of season two. Um, but the circumstance being what it is and getting to, getting to do it again, you know, in a really wonderful, wholesome, familial setting that has been tarnished by the movie. I, I don't know. Like, it's, By the way, Justin, we're going to have to burn that room down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole house is gone. No, it was, it was you know, like, it was bad, but... I'm on the other side of it now, and I feel stronger. <laughs> you got, you did hand me the gun, though. Like yeah. you hand me, you handed me the gun that I would use to execute you. So, yeah. you, you had to know I wasn't going to go with the movie you've been talking about. That would have been probably the cruelest. Oh yeah, we didn't mention that, but this was Justin's choice on whether it was going to be like, before arriving or grown up. We sent an email to Justin saying, "Hey, do you want to do a bonus episode? Pick from the three movies we've done." Mm. And I hoped, yeah, I did. I, I came out naively thinking that you had mercy in your heart and would, you know, give us a, a fun trip around the bloody block with grown-ups too. Yeah, but you I specifically did. said. I thought you would have enjoyed that too much. <laughs> <laughs> thought that would have been too pleasant. Goes against the spirit. But it's also a full fucking hour shorter. Yeah. Yes, yeah, which would have been, in hindsight for my human life, that I also expended, mm. probably would have been smarter, but... I had already watched Grown Ups 2 twice, once with your commentary, so I I felt like I had the full experience yeah. already. I would um, love, love, love... To go watch Grown Ups 2 right now. Okay, you're the boss. Justin McElroy to pitch to film executives and noted green lighters of good ideas, Guy Montgomery and Tim Bat, uh-huh. the sequel to Sex in the City 2. Okay. Uh, come in. Oh, hi, thanks for... Uh... Thanks for seeing me. Can you please, sorry, can you please speak up? I'm hard thanks of hearing. For se- thanks for seeing me. Oh, you're so welcome. My name is Tim Bat. I'm my, a film executive. My name is Guy Montgomery, and I am also a film executive. Uh, I have four names for you. 
and I just want, I'm going to watch your faces as I say. Okay. Carrie. Samantha. Miranda. Optimus Prime. <laughs> That's right. They're back. All your favorite characters from Sex and the City to our back. And this time, they've got some unexpected guests. We're back in New York. We realized after we made the last one, that was a mistake to literally just make a show about a city and then take the entire show out of that city. We are bringing it back. My associate and I couldn't agree more. But how do you raise the stakes? Well, the girls are back in New York, but somebody else is waiting for them when they get there from Abu Dhabi. I should mention, we pick up the exact second the Sex in the City 2 ends. It is literally a frame-to-frame -frame sequel. And as that moment happens, Negatron flies down from the sky. He realizes that they're, the, the AllSpark is somewhere in the you know, Hudson or a body of water so, in New York. The AllSpark all is in New York City once is more. It's in New York City again. And the only people who know where it is are Charlotte and Miranda and Carrie and Samantha, they tell. She doesn't know initially, but they t they let her in on it because she had been fucking boinking a guy. Yeah. yeah when butt. they discovered Hey, we're all adults here, Justin. Yeah. You can say Samantha's been fucking dudes. <laughs> I just didn't know in this context how it would play. Please, think of us as your superiors. Okay, perfect. So this will be the sixth Transformers movie and the third Sex of the City movie. And they're going to be released sort of at the same time. So you'll go see one and then the second one. It's like, they'll be really, it's the same movie, but branded different. <laughs> okay, so, so different, different <coughs> air campaigns to capture. Because you get everybody. Yeah. You get Sex in the City 3, you get Transformers 6, mm. which is subtitled Sex in the City. But you're going to get everybody, you're hitting all demos, basically. And it'll be the exact same film, no matter what it's titled, but we'll count the BO, you know, however makes the most sense. We'll run it by the bean counters, but, you know. This sounds fantastic. Yeah. This no. is literally the most bankable idea I've ever heard in my goddamn life. And can I tell you, the last man who walked in pitched uh, remaking Ben-Hur, which I thought was also a tremendous idea. It's a very good idea. We have a really strong track record of only making the finest decisions in cinema. I actually uh, walked past Shia LaBeouf on the way here. He was busking in a subway. Mm. I'm, <laughs> pretty sure right. I, I'm pretty sure I remember what stop it was there. I could go back and ask him if he'd be interested in getting involved in this. Is he? Uh, do you foresee Shia being Shia? attached to this project? Okay, so I talked to Shia about it. And okay. here's, uh, I, got, I got good and bad for you. Okay. He doesn't want... No, no, hold on. Hit me with the good first always. Okay, the good first is... He does want to be in Sex and the City 3. Great. What's the bad news? He doesn't want to be in Transformers 6. That's perfect. The guy's gone offline. We can just tell him we're making Sex and the City 3. Right. Put him in Transformers 6. Yeah, we're, and we're going to double down on pretty much everything. Um, the, uh, <clears throat> like, sponsors, at the placement, we'll be able to place... We'll get Pringles back, of course, mm -hmm. but then we'll also get... Munchos, which is another rehydrated potato granule uh, product. We are film executives here in Hollywood. We know what munchos are. Oh, Thank perfect. you, Justin. Well, there's just those are the two potato crisps uh, products. So, we'll, but we can get both of them, and we'll tell one that they're in Transformers Six, the other one that they're in Sex and the City Three. I no. mean, this is truly an idea that just continues to pay dividends wherever we look. No one, 
here's the thing though mm. no one working on these movies can know I see. They have to think that they're making either Sex okay. in the City three Look, or Transformers six because that's going to blow the ad thing. Right. I don't. I don't want to <coughs> be the guy to put the skids on this. You know, really strong brainstorm. Don't, don't be. You know what? All of the reservations I have, I'm just going to put them to one side because I don't want to be that guy, and so I'm not going to be that guy. Perfect. It's just that it's two movies, but it's one movie on one set. Yeah. So we have half of a crew that we're sure are working on Sex in the City 3 and another half of the crew who are sure they're working on Transformers 6. My fear is these people might talk to one another. Guy, I like your skepticism. You know, I've always enjoyed that about you. It's what makes our working relationship so strong. But if you don't shut your goddamn mouth, I'm going to slap you upside the head with a checkbook so hard, it's going to knock you back into Transformers 2 slash Sex in the City 1. I, I am limiting our vulnerability there because the four women from Sex and the City also refuse to be in the same room with each other. So they are going to be a lot of VO, a lot of backs of heads, a oh, lot of animation. I see. A lot of animation. How <laughs> yeah. uh, much animation are you anticipating? Uh, it's... It's an animated movie. It's a largely it? an animated film. I except see. for the Transformers are real. I did want to spend the CG budget on that. I wanted to spend the CG budget on the Transformers and the practical effects, and the, those are going to be real. We're I'm going, going to build to... actual, so, no CG effects for those. They're going to be real size Transformers. So taking, you, they'll be, and they'll be existing in the cartoon New York City that will be drawn for the rest of exactly, the film. Exactly. Right. Alongside yes, the animated. Thank you. Some, finally, someone gets it. So I pitched this around so The inverse of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Or the, or patterned after the uh, Mary Poppins uh, chalk, chalk of scene, right? So it's, it's similar to that, except it's Decepticons and Autobots and. Mm. I mean, ne- not since- neutral, neutral droids. That's another one I'm coming out, out with. Neutral droids. <laughs> neutral droids. Neutral droids are halfway between Decepticons and Autobots. I see. They are ambivalent. Right. <laughs> they're fine with whoever has the AllSpark, and they're not really taking sides because that gives us some Transformers to sort of interact with <laughs> the girls because you don't want them to be taking an Autobot or Decepticon side. So these, ca- these ambivalent characters, neutral whose droids. main trait is that they're ambivalent. Uh, just- very important to this film. Yeah. And there will be some love interests among the their human size. I mean, you know what else? This is a whole new branch of toys that we can yeah. release and franchises, lunchboxes, I'm thinking uh, full-size film posters for the guys and girls' bedrooms. This is, I mean, my head's spinning with all the um, commercial possibilities of these new Nutribots. And now, let me pitch this to you. How do you feel about an artificial sweetener-branded Nutribot? Nutribot artificial sweetener. I love. I think that that's going to be a really good um, crossover to our key demo of bad people. Right. So I think that that's going to work out great. I'm more hesitant about any sort of children's merchandise for the Nutribots because we've done some tests and kids do find them pretty reprehensible. I mean, they're they're unexcited by them pretty much in a way that we've never seen in our testing before. And is that down to the sort of visual aesthetic that you've selected for them or more to do with the fact that they are ambivalent toward good and evil? No, they're all beige. They have no weapons. Do they have, are they robots or is it sort of flesh that they have? No, they're, they're robots, but in sort of a clunky, clearly built out of old washing machine parts, sort of beige, like sixties, but not, in a cool retro way. I mean, they're just very, you, they're going to be cheap to put on the screen, which I love, 
but you will forget about them the moment you're not looking directly at okay. them. Okay, does sound like baby boomers will gravitate towards these uh, Nutribots. Yeah, it's the big chill of Transformers, That's, basically. It's just it's crazy to me that you're so consciously aware of how you know unmarketable and appealing these Nutribots are. Just and, the kids. Yeah, they're so embedded in this film idea. Well, Guy, I'm blowing a lot of budget getting the Transformers and the actresses from Sex in the City, so I don't have a lot of extra breathing room, and I do need to have some sort of <laughs> well, elements that will cross well, over between the two. Because I can put Nutribots in Sex and the City scenes, and I can put Nutribots in Transformer scenes, and they can be sort of like... You know what I heard from Samantha? And they can, like, cross over. She says that she heard while she was blinking a guy that there's an all spark underneath the, whatever, Hudson Great. Yeah. Lake. Great what, audience what, surrogate. Why are we spending so much money on the actors from Sex and the City when I've been assured that we'll only be seeing the backs of their heads as rendered in cartoons? They're participating in the VO. I mean, they're, they're still going to be characters in the film. Even if I get Andy Serkis to come in and do all of them, which we have had talks, the, the characters are still going to be present in the film like we still need a a narrative i mean there's still a narrative it's not sex and city too there's a story if nothing else i'm pretty attached to the idea of us having sjp for the marketing junket i mean i've got to be honest with you i couldn't be writing this check any harder than i am right now and i think i've torn the paper no. So let me just SJP go is in the film but she plays carrie's mom i see it's a new generation uh-huh so we have her playing carrie's mom and also carrie Oh, both. Animated. Okay. Carrie Jr. But actually, Andy Circus is with Andy light bulbs. Sir, that's Andy, right. Right. Oh, okay. What? Carrie's. <laughs> is Carrie. Hold on, I don't know what's confusing. Is Carrie's mom called Carrie? <laughs> yeah. She's the Carrie that we know. And then Carrie Jr. is her daughter and is also in the film. And she is animated. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I think about this for too much longer, I might pass out. So just please take whatever money or, you know, spare items we have Great. lying around our yeah, office. Uh, well, I, I just, I have to ask, and this is almost embarrassing after an idea that powerful, but what kind of budget are we looking at here? I'm actually just editing together Sex of the City 2 and Transformers 5. So actually, I need about 30 bucks to get me through the weekend because I'm, I'm trying to get a living situation that's a little more... <laughs> conducive to editing and putting it together a major motion picture oh boy okay let me just rip up this check for 200 million dollars 30 bucks yeah oh there sure. we go right in my wallet and cash Perfect. now the only questions i have left yes for you all now that we've sort of hammered this out is do you know any transformers or performers from sex in the city or people that have the rights to either of those films or people who know how to edit movies together or people who have seen the Transformers movies and the Sex of the City so, movies. What did you say your name was? My name yeah. is Steven Spielberg. And now you know the rest of the story. Twist. Never see that coming. And sane. Wow. That is one of the most confusing movie pictures I have ever been party to. That was honestly <laughs> brilliant. I loved every, every single second of that. I reckon let's put a pin in this thing. Truly. There's no topping that. Um, Justin McElroy, it has been such a, a privilege and an honor to have you on I the worst the idea way. of all time. I feel the same way. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Is there anything, uh, I mean, obviously all of your podcasts are already a roaring success, but anything which you would like to direct our listeners towards if they, they want more Justin? You just go to McElroyShows.com, and you can see all of our shows there. I do... Uh, my Brother, My Brother Me, it's a comedy advice podcast, and I do The Adventure Zone, which is an actual play 
Um, it used to be Dungeons and Dragons, but now it's several different games. Uh, but uh, it's it's a narrative show, and I do a medical history podcast with my wife Sydney, who's a physician, where we talk about weird old medical treatments and stuff. Um, it's called Sawbones, and you can find all those and more at MacElroyShows.com. And of course, unless it's already come out. Oh, who's to say when I'll get around to putting this out? Uh, Hopefully so it's today. probably at, I don't know. It's probably at, and maybe it's after, but somewhere in the ether, either soon or earlier, the third episode of Till Death Do Us Blart, our annual eternal uh, Paul Blart review show is, <laughs> is out there. You can enjoy. Something to look forward to. Hey, what's Sydney's show called as well? Oh, Still Buffering. She, still Buffering. Yeah, it's a, she has a, a, a sister who's a few years younger than her and then a, a teenage sister. And they sort of compare and contrast teen life then and now. So we were talking to Sydney about that yesterday. That sounds like a that's an interesting cross section of uh, you know lives to yeah, to get to delve ride. into. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine. We've got um, two live shows coming up. Uh, one is on the 29th of November in New York City. Guys, are looking at me like I've said the wrong thing. What's up? No, you know. Oh, I'm good. Okay, cool. It's happening at the Bell House. It's only fifteen dollars, and uh, the one in Los Angeles is just two days later on the first of December, happening at Nerd Melt. You can get um, tickets for both those shows at WorstIdeaOfAllTime.com. You can also buy merch there if you wish, and we're going to be. Uh, selling some bespoke-made posters at those events, which uh, which guy and I will sign. Macaroni posters. Uh, also, before we leave... Hey, that would be neat, wouldn't it? Yeah, we're just going to get the posters printed and put a bunch of macaroni on them. That's nice. Uh, new season of hosting. The podcast I do with uh, fellow Australian Carlo Ritchie has just gone live. Season two, where Carlo kindly takes me into his home in Redfern, Sydney, New South Wales, Australia, and slowly destroys my life. Please enjoy that at Little Empire Podcast, singular. Both now. I've got the other domain. My guy. My guy. That's big. Uh, Otherwise, have a happy day. See you in the friend zone, everyone. Thanks again, Justin. It's the least I could do. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.